CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, my golfing friends, and welcome back to what I'd consider a special edition of the original Off Course. I'm your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week on location at Ballyhack, uh, he is of the Edel fame. His name is Mr. Chris Koski. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and pleasure to be with you here in Virginia. I'm not sure where in Virginia, but in Virginia. Yeah, Roanoke is where we are. I don't know if I pronounce that right, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, this is the last night here, so we're still friends, which is great news. Um, what do you think about Ballyhack? Uh, what an amazing place. Um, just absolutely beautiful. The golf is amazing. Uh, the course is phenomenal layout. Uh, it's pretty. It's challenging. The greens are like putting on a marble table in many cases today. We ran a few by the hole. Uh, but just the facilities here at Dormy Network just does an amazing job. So being from Ohio, you're Colorado. Uh, we're experiencing that trickle-down white stuff that is pure disaster unless it's on a dessert. <laughs> in, this, in this case, I walked away thinking my greens were rolling pretty well at home. And I get out here, and I hit the first putt, and I was like, oh, we need to dial that back in a big hurry. Really fast. They're smoking. Really yeah. fast. But yeah. fun. Yeah. There's so many different complexes here that are so interesting. I rolled one putt over what I'd consider like a wave today, uh, which cost me a hold, by the way, but we don't need to talk about that. The complexes here are super interesting. And being uh, from a company who takes putting very seriously, is this the kind of course you like to celebrate your experience with putters? Or like, is it just so complex? You're like, oh, I don't know. It's going to stress people out. Well, it puts uh, the person, the putter to the test, but it also puts your equipment to the test. Uh, if you remember on 15, uh, double green, I may have hit a wedge onto the other side of the double green and had a little roller coaster ride back up, uh, which was exciting at best and demoralizing real, in reality. So 15 shares a green with a 13th. Mm-hmm. It is remarkably probably the biggest green here, even though 18 is massive. Um, any truth to the rumor that your third shot was further than your second shot? <laughs> I guess that would have been your third shot versus your fourth shot. We looked down, and your ball, like, it wasn't that far off. And then we looked again, and it was, like, on a totally different complex, hanging out over there. It just kept going, yeah. And I love that most people, because we were chasing darkness at this point, we were, like, counting the, the moments we had of brightness. And you're like, I'm invested. <laughs> you just kept giving it a run. <laughs> We've got to finish this putt. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was pretty wild. That was probably the longest and most difficult putt uh, in my thirty years or so playing golf. Okay, yeah, it was wild. Yeah, um, but but super fun. I mean, if you can have fun with putting, if if it doesn't frustrate you, like there there are just certain times of the year where you know you have the skill you have that you've built up throughout the year, and at this point, we're just playing bonus golf. I think yeah. is the perspective from a lot of people on like JB down there in Florida enjoying the time, but. You know, that, <clears throat> you you got to just hope that it works out. And if it doesn't, all you can do is laugh. And especially when you come to a place like Valley Hack, um, it's such a nice property that if you're mad here, you're kind of doing it wrong. 
Yeah, good people, good course, uh, good fun. Looking forward to a good dinner after the round. So you can't be mad about anything. Should we chip away a little bit at the putting experience from Adele right now? Because why'd you have to say chip? Yeah, that is an emotional. <laughs> chip is a tough one for me. Yeah, um, we don't have to touch that, CK, <laughs> if you don't want to. Um, is it a different grass here than it is at home? I'm not judging. It's just a question, okay? I have gotten chipping lessons from Dave Pels, Dave Stockton, name dropping, Roger Cleveland, <laughs> David Adele, um, YouTube, uh, and still, uh, I would imagine with some practice, I can probably become a good chipper. But um, it's a busy life, and I don't put the time into it. And so, no, no, it's uh, it's a sore spot for me for sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, putting, we can talk putting all day. I, I don't want to talk about your wedge game, for the record, <laughs> just as much as I don't want to talk about my driver game, which I'm sure you'd be thrilled to do, uh, but we'll leave those, we'll leave, we'll leave yeah. those two put away. Let's just say both of those are off the table for this <laughs> conversation today, but yeah, I, I think I'm really interested to know, you guys introduced a super detailed fitting experience. I mean, it, it takes... It takes you on an emotional roller coaster because you t- you experience shapes and weighting and uh, loft and line alignment. There's so many components that go into it, and if you compare it to other experiences, I mean, it's just it, it's everything in the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. How has that experience worked out for you? Is uh, and I'm gonna preface this. And I'm gonna ask you a hard question straight away. Do you guys feel like you rock the boat a little bit too much by going that deep with it? It's certainly a lot for some people to handle, and um, you know, there's a lot of amazing fitters in golf. Uh, there's so many people that are so passionate about the game, the equipment behind it, and, and finding the right equipment for people. Um, but it's, it's in-depth. It's a process, and you've got to be committed, and that's why we've got some of the best fitters in the world that work with us, and the ones that do... Um, lean into it and use the toolbox and, and we very specifically call it a toolbox but when they use that toolbox for what it's intended to do on the other end is this like transformational thing that happens with people's putting and we hear it all the time uh, the stories that we get you know some people will say life-changing and it may sound goofy to some people but it, it's true transformation that happens when they get dialed into the right putter and so I think it's rocking the boat just the right amount to, to get people's attention. Okay. Yeah. And we've seen lots of feedback on the THP homepage and the J-Man staff writer has been uh, incredibly positive with his experiences with Adele. And that's a guy who is super familiar with the putting experience, is, is no stranger to not only experiencing different putters, buying different putters, but trying different putters. And, that um, to have that sort of instant feedback from a person who is actually quite knowledgeable, I think it's pretty telling for anyone who's willing to go and take the time and say, look, I don't get this. Please, you get this for me from your good, good solid fitter. And, and you know, hopefully from there, it, it just improves. Well, someone like Jay Manon, who is, you know, he's a lover of Flonex. Uh, and has always liked the look of a putter and probably may do with it for a long time. But after going through the fitting process, we've got a phenomenal fitter in Ryan Hilton in the Tulsa area um, who took him through the system and, and kind of opened up J-Man's eyes to, to what we're doing. And 
and it's just like we hear from so many people. It's just transformed their putting. And five kids on his team have Adele putters now. Uh, and, and we see that so often. It's just kind of like these little mini tidal waves all over the world where, where one person gets fit, goes through the experience, has the transformation, and then continues forward and starts evangelizing that outwards. Yeah, I, I like that take. And it's nice that he has a great fitter that he can reach out to and engage with. And the truth is that, and I'm going to be a little bit crass here for a second, that availability is not everywhere. It's not a guarantee. And I'd like to ask another challenging question here. There's an understanding there's paralysis by overanalysis. And if you watch any golfer looking for a new putter, they're looking for something magical, but they don't want to think too hard about it. So you see these guys going into the big box retailers. There's a whole bunch of putters that fit them poorly on the shelves and they'll grab willy nilly based on presentation, based on familiarity, based on all of that and, and just start rolling until something drops into what most people argue is a funnel there and that's the one they buy. Sure. So with Edel's take, are you ever going to get to the point where you drill that down a bit to say like, look, we have this unbelievable fitting experience and if that's too much for you, we also have this alternative option where it's a little bit less aggressive. Like I, I look at um, things like alignment aids. I think people deeply underestimate the value of having the correct alignment aid on the shutter. Um, or have you ever considered just isolating to one component that would support a golfer as opposed to just being so broad about how you fit? Absolutely. And when you when you look at the putter category, you know only about two to three percent of golfers actually get fit for a putter. Uh, it, it's such a small amount. It's already a small category as it is. So it's nine percent of the hard goods market uh, is is what putters represent. And so you start fishing in this tiny pond if you're just doing fit putters. Um, but that level of, of custom fitting is something that uh, David Adele and the team have owned for years. It's the heritage of the company. And, and I think one of the places that, that we can continue to succeed is by giving options and taking a more heuristic approach with trial and error and giving people the tools, uh, whether that's you know, the best fitters in the world uh, or even just golfers like you and me, give people the tools to, to do it themselves. That's and, interesting. And I think there's there's just a, a, a open world there and uh, it, it just it really just opens up the business for, for even more growth and for more exposure. To your point, you know, uh, two years ago we were in 50 doors worldwide and now we're in over 500 doors with our putters and so that availability is a lot more uh, but the, the depth of which people go into that fit and how they use the toolbox and all the pieces that, that we make available um, can vary greatly. Yeah, uh, I think putting is such a weird thing, right? You know, it, it's, I think the putter is maybe the one club in the bag that we can manipulate the most to hide uh, the things that make us technically incorrect about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people get super wrapped up in what they think looks right, and I'm using air quotes even though no one can see me, but you know, the idea of, well, I've played a plumber's neck putter my whole life with a flange line, which means every putter I go to look for from this point forward will be a plumber's neck with a flange line. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And the reality is they're working against something they're not familiar with. That, that education component is a really fascinating thing for me. Um, and, and you and I actually sat in Nashville and, and went through the process. And it's very eye-opening, but it's also very humbling because you, you're basically telling someone in, in not the exact words that they're wrong. And it's not because they want to be wrong. It's just from a familiarity perspective. It's not what's going to best support their game. And I think that goes to that a lot of drivers look similar, but as soon as you change a component that might be you know, scary for someone, like offset, like face angle, like uh, you know, a lot of those things, then they start to really get rattled. And then, uh, putters, it's way more extreme. You're changing a shape, you're changing a, um, uh, an alignment aid, you're changing a, a hosel. Those are things that are very visual from a putting standpoint, but you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else for a long time in my life. I just genuinely played a product that did not fit or suit my eye. I just didn't realize it. So, so what is it like for a company like yours who recognizes that and, and have plenty of avenues for people to go and experience it the correct way? How do you educate that, man? Like that's such a hard thing to do for the window buyers of the retail stores. It's very difficult because the majority of retail would push against that. And you know, I've, I've been in the putter business for a long time and the constant feedback that we would get would be, hey, this is a self-help category. You know, we don't want to spend the time. This is retailers speaking. We don't want to spend the time to fit putters because either A, we don't really understand it fully uh, or B, it takes too much time for the average price of one of those sales. And so you've got a lot of the retail establishment working against actual fitting of putters. And then when you walk into a big box store and you see someone pick up a putter and make a 20 foot putt across the green and just walk up to the counter and buy it, mm -hmm. you know, that builds on what that perception that they're seeing is. And they say, okay, we really don't have to do that. Okay. Um, but it's those who focus on it and, and really give it the attention and understand the benefits uh, of improving golfers, uh, that, that makes a difference to me. And, you know, golf is a perception sport and of all of the different hard good categories, I'd say putting is probably the most perceptive led, uh, activity that you do on a golf course. And, and what I mean by that, and, uh, you know, Phil Mickelson used to tell me this is that when I, when I hit a five foot putt, I want it to look like a five foot putt, sound like a five foot putt, uh, and, and roll like a five foot putt. And he's got this picture in his head of what that is. And if that isn't the result of what he has with the putter, then something is wrong. And so as you go through the fitting process, we focus on aim, we focus on speed, and we focus on the shape of, of people's stroke and the length of people's strokes uh, to try and match perception to reality. And when you can do that, magical things happen. Yeah, so you have you, you plenty of your... Um Fitters have incredible products like Sam, which tell a really big story about the putter. Mm -hmm. But you have like interchangeable components that you don't need that information to validate. You just simply put it down, align it, set it up, and let the, the golfer realize like, okay, you know, the, the laser's aimed at the right spot now, finally. Yeah. Uh, I just rolled this putt and I didn't roll it against myself. That's one of the things I thought was super interesting is people can roll a 10 foot putt just fine. They can roll it with a product that doesn't suit them after let's say three or four putts. Mm -hmm. They get a pretty good idea of what it takes 
to make that happen. But if you eliminate that component where you're not working against your, your putter, suddenly you have like this opportunity to just roll clean lines and always trust it. Because the hard thing about, let's say a guy who maybe pulls the ball and doesn't realize they're pulling it. Well, you put him into a, a product that allows him to roll it straight. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more truth in that putt. Yeah. And, and I think it's really hard to see that on a carpeted floor, which is what effectively you're getting at the big box. Yeah. It's not until you get on the course and you're like, all right, I need this ball to go this direction for this amount of uh, feet and then slowly make its way to the left into the hole. Well, if you're putting that with a pull stroke, you're putting basically side spin on the ball and it's just not going to roll true. I think the term true is is really effective here. Yeah, and we try and isolate the different aspects of putting. So when we go through a fitting, um, typically we'll do a biomechanics screening. We'll measure people's, uh, the length of their arms, their upper arm versus their lower arm, the wingspan versus their height, and we can get a really good idea of what line they should be in based on those type of measurements and where their slot is. Um, And then we'll isolate aim, and we just focus on aim. And then when we start, and we can, change alignment pieces we can change shape uh it's amazing how people see shapes differently uh when we when we were in nashville uh we saw you aiming what three four inches left of the cut with a blade butter sounds like you're judging me yeah a little bit um and i I remember asking you why you had a sight bat were you fit to it or did you like it and it was like you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar (laughs) i like it i mean that's yeah well the, the reality is the efficiency over the course of a number of years. And, and I'll reflect this on one of my fellow playing partners who, if I tell him that he Dells on this podcast, he might actually listen to it, which would be a thrill for me because he plays <laughs> one of the older Adele putters, but he plays it at like, I think maybe 33 inches. And he's nearly as tall as I am. I said, why do you play it at 33? He's like, I don't know. I just feel like I have more control back in the day. It used to be 28 inches. I'm like, first of all, you're out of your mind. Yeah. And second of all, did you put any like efficiency thought into that or did you just get it to a point where you couldn't go backwards because you obviously can't add as easy as you can cut? Um, and, and we've started having a conversation. We've talked about, you know, what makes a good putting stroke and he's worked on a couple things and suddenly it's like, you know, maybe this isn't the right fit for me, but I love my putter, so maybe I just extend it. But I feel like people either both underthink and overthink yeah. different components of the putter head. And that's where I think it gets really challenging for the people who go into the, a fitting where they have to be deeply open-minded um, to be willing to try different shapes, to be willing to try different hosels, weights, uh, especially when you start dumping weights into the top of the head Absolutely. or into the top of the shaft. And you're like, no, 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 just trust me. You're like, okay, I trust you, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first time that David Adele fit me, he put about 100 grams of counterbalance in there. And I picked up the putter and it, it felt like a log. I said, David, I don't think I'm going to like this. I said, trust me, you've got a short poppy stroke, lighter head, more counterbalance. It, it's going to help you. And just trust me and go test it. And the way we, we test for speed is we put a string about 15 feet out and we put to a string and you try and lag it to that point. And you're not aiming, there's no cup. And so, you, again, we're trying to isolate those variables. And, and we can get a really good idea of what each person feels by doing that, by isolating those variables in certain ways. And um, again, I've been around putters for a long time. I've got 60 plus at my house right now. And 60. Yeah. And this is the one that, that has all this counterbalance weight. And 
it's really worked well for me. My speed control <laughs> has never been better. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, I didn't want to like it, but yeah. you have to go in with an open mind. You have to trust it and, and you see the benefits. It's just complete willingness. And I've seen plenty of guys who, and I want to transition this conversation into irons because we need to speak SMS after my chance to hit them all weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a deeply invested interest in the sound profile or the feedback, if you will, of every club in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think putter is one of those things where you do have a lot more control over it because you can choose, oh, I want a deep mill or I want a, or a really light mill, which is what I seem to prefer. Um, those are the components that you have a, a very emotional control over. And one of the things I circle back to is confidence is wholly surrounded in the audible profile of the contact. And if you don't have that, if you don't have a sound you're looking for, you will not have the same level of confidence in a similar putter that presents a sound you prefer. Yeah. You think that's pretty fair? Yeah, I think in in all products, um, you know, sound is feel and they're they're interchangeable, like everything, all of your senses. But in putters specifically. Um, I, I just feel like there's more control in the putters. And what I, what I mean by that is you can get the same head shape with a different milling experience or uh, pattern and you have a chance of changing that sound. It's, it's, to me, it's different from putters than it would be to an iron because it's not like you're going to go to you guys and say, hey, will you mill my irons differently? That's probably not going to happen. Not for many people. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Yeah. No, for sure. And, you know, that's not something that we have as, as custom, customizable now. But even when you change weights, you know, go from 5-gram weights in the head to 25-gram weights in the head or 20-gram weights in the head, uh, that will change sound. Uh, the type of grip that you put on it will that change won't. sound. If you've got a, a rubber under listing on your dual-layer grip or a, a rubber grip as a whole, it will change very change the sound very much so compared to a foam under listing, like you'd say on a super stroke. Uh, so there's just so many elements that can change that sound. Type of ball can change that. And so how yeah, about a, it really how about is dialing that in. How about a discontinued grip with seven layers of tape underneath? That might change the sound of the feel a little bit. And it, again, it's just all about matching <laughs> perception. It's nothing to do with me, I nothing, swear. Nothing. <laughs> well, let's, let's circle to SMS because you guys introduced these irons, had a super fun experience with TH Peters, uh, who were absolutely thrilled by that. And we should, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk a little bit about our TJ because it looked pretty awesome for you that guys. Was, that was fun, yeah. One of the things I took away from that experience, following along on the TH community forums, was just this overabundance of love for the sound profile yeah. of SMS. And... Uh, I asked you this earlier in the week and you kind of laughed and said it's you know, a product of uh, just like a happy accident, but not really an accident. Sound has to play such a critical role yeah. in everything we hit. And, and I'm guilty of that there are, there are clubs and companies out there that I'm not willing to touch uh, for any extended period of time purely because I know it doesn't suit my sound profile. Absolutely. When I put SMS in the bag, with the exception of me immediately telling you that the screws were loose, <laughs> or there's something going on, screws were loose. As soon as I hit one flush, and even some of the ones I didn't hit super flush, this is like a hollow body iron that sounds pure. Yes. Absolutely pure. Like, how in the hell do you get to that point? 
Well, it, it's a funny one because we, we've seen that result as I've traveled around the world and, and had people try these irons. Almost every single time, the first thing is, wait, this is a hollow body iron? This feels like a forged iron. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, 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 well, that's it, it's, it's hollow body, trust me. Um, but it, it's a combination mm -hmm. of things and acoustics and golf clubs come in a lot of different ways. And if you look at the internal structure or construction of drivers, Historically, there's a lot of ribbing built in there. Uh, larger manufacturers have anechoic chambers where they're doing these sound tests. Um, you can run simulations in certain CAD softwares to understand where sound is going to land in many, in many cases. It's, it's pretty darn cool how deep you can go. Um, and, and kind of, we did kind of randomly happen onto this sound uh, in a number of ways is, you know, we were looking at different foam fills, uh, different urethane fills for the inside of our iron uh, to just get to weight, where we wanted the weight to be. And we chose uh, a little bit of a denser material and that certainly helps. But even the internal construction of what we have to put those weights into uh, fills some of that cavity and, and quite honestly has made for a really great sounding iron instead of the clicky clacky hollow bodies that everybody knows and, and really despises kind of the sound of. Well, I think there's an understanding out there that there's a willingness to depart from sound quality based on the efficiencies that come from a hollow body iron. Mm -hmm. When you have a product that... For certain player types. For certain player types. I mean, there's diminishing returns in everything you, you, you go towards. I've been dealing with that personally. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely that. And I'll, I'm happy to concede that. But there are companies out there, and, and you're certainly no sludge because I think this is a perfect example to talk about it, but there are companies out there who are willing to take that extra step to make the sound work with it. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting about Edel is you guys brought out a product like straight away that was superior in a, in a lot of conditions to other irons out there that might not have that hollow structure uh, designed into it. And I think that's really interesting. And, and not just that, the shaping is different. I mean, you, you have sort of, I don't want to say industrial because I don't think that's right, but the lines are a little bit sharper. They're not as uh, rolled as a lot of what we're seeing lately. What, is, what was the motivation? What was the inspiration to go that way with the design elements? Is that just how it worked out? No, you know, a lot of it is, is the heritage of, of where Adele has been. Um, you know, sometimes a little bit more of an industrial look. Uh, but if you look at some of the irons that historically David and team have made, uh, a little bit more squared off top lines, for example. And when we looked at, at this iron specifically, uh, we consider it to be a player's distance iron. Uh, it's a, a kind of a broad category in golf right now. And it really has to fit a wide array of handicaps. Uh, and so, you know, it's probably got a little bit less offset than most in that category. Uh, but we wanted to give something that was confidence inspiring. Uh, and, and a lot of the time that comes with a little bit of a thicker top line. And so, you know, it was very conscious decision to make all of the design elements to this to, to kind of fit and work that way. So one of the things I noticed is you, you didn't choose to go really aggressive on the lofting for mm -hmm. SMS. Mm -hmm. That surprised me. And, and I don't mean that in a way like everyone's doing it so you should do it. I mean in a way because 
there is a certain condition in this type of iron that almost encourages it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I noticed in a lot of cases, you're a degree, a degree and a half, two degrees weaker. But I mean, I, I put them in play. I, I hit them like pretty unwilling to give back any of the irons that are in my bag right now. That are, it's actually sitting next to me. But you were hitting these just I as far, if not really, further, with more luck. I was really curious about that because I had a five iron to five iron, and there's no point in me making a comparison of who it was. These are irons I've had uh, very familiar with, mm-hmm. and it was really easy to power this iron, this SMS iron, for It was surprising to me. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to unpack that a little bit and better understand it. But when you went to choose the lofting, was it based on the performance of, let's say, an Iron Byron? Was it based on other information? What encouraged that decision? Yeah, I mean, we, we tested it against the leaders in the category uh, in the market uh, who do happen to have less loft than we do. And on a robot, our ball speeds were almost exactly the same with less loft or excuse me, with more loft on ours, with less loft on theirs. Um, and we were seeing peak heights that were very similar. Uh, we were getting a little bit more spin on ours because of the loft. Uh, and then kind of the, the spin robustness across the face was, was very strong with ours as well and more accurate uh, from different hit locations. Uh, when we got into player testing with it, what we noticed was if we move the weight to a place that would fit, so of course we have three weights on the back of the iron, mm-hmm. uh, one being the heaviest one. If we move that heavy weight to a place that fit the golfer better, uh, we saw people center their impact and get more consistent with their impact location. And tell you what, when people hit the center of the face, they tend to hit it faster and further. And so by design, imagine that. Yeah, Yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. And so (laughs) simply by, by fitting people to an iron with a tool that they haven't had before with the adjustable weighting, they were getting the ball speed gains and we didn't need to, to jack the lofts, uh, down for, for that purpose. And, and so it was a lot of testing that went into it that, that kind of led to that. Now, you know, will we do that with every iron going forward? No. You know, if we if we made an iron that had a really deep and low CG for maybe a higher handicap profile, um, certainly we can we can take the lofts down for that type of an iron. But for this one, you know, when you talk to tour pros, they're always looking for a window that they want to hit it through. And when you find that window, um, that's that's really all that should matter versus a number that's in a spec box on a website. So you understand, you know, the entirety of the lunatic fringe lean forward in their chair when you said basically when we're looking at other irons. Yeah. Um, we, we should talk about that. Absolutely. Because I'm sure, here's my perspective. Continuous improvement's going to happen. Um, and, I, and I'd love to really break down the whole Adele experience when it comes to what you're willing to take to market. Because you seem, at least from my side of things, to be very methodical about how you're going about it. Like SMS wedges came out um, and it wasn't oversaturated and you didn't just flood, uh, which I think is the same thing said twice, but whatever, <laughs> it's fine. I understand. You know, <laughs> dinner was good tonight, great ribeye. <laughs> so when it came to the irons, it's like, okay, you, you, you brought out a set of irons and 
looking from my side of things, you brought out a set of irons that are very popular in the hollow body experience um, that perform or maybe possibly outperform a lot of the other stuff that's out there it, from ball speed, um, distance, and for sure sound. And accuracy. And accuracy. I mean, that's your test, not mine. I'm just basing <laughs> yeah. on you know, the really quick drive-by experiences I've seen. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> there, there has to be, and, and I'm going to ask you a challenging question, there has to be an understanding that if these work, you should touch on the other component or the other golfers that are out there. Maybe someone's not looking for distance. Maybe someone's looking for forgiveness or someone's looking for accuracy or precision. Yeah. So SMS is here. No question about it. They're worth hitting. Uh, are you willing to expand a little bit on what's coming next? Are you prototyping? What, what's the story there? Yeah, I mean... A lot of the fitters that we work with are best in their craft. And with those type of people, typically golf is a lifestyle for them. And they tend to be really good golfers. And so when we brought this player's distance iron out, and and I'll go back to one story. We end up uh, at a place called Spargo Golf up in Rhode Island. And John Pannone uh, is, is the owner of that business. He's plus three to plus six handicap, probably has course records at half the courses in the uh, 25 mile vicinity around his house. So we hate him. He's a phenomenal (laughs) player. So he comes out of his workshop, he's got 50 keys on his key ring hanging from his belt. Um, He's got his, his apron on. It smells like burning epoxy. He's been pulling heads, and he walks out to the range. We give him this iron for the first time, uh, and his miss is is left. And so after about two shots, he puts the weight in the toe, and all of a sudden he can't miss left. And he's like, I can't. I'm trying to hit it left. I can't hit it left. And he was blown away by it. And when we see players at that caliber, at that level, feel the difference so quickly. You know, for, for a lot of, uh, I'd say, higher handicap players, they don't feel the difference. They'll feel it over a longer period of time. But when really good players feel it so quickly, and I saw it with you too with the wedges when we first tested, mm-hmm. when you feel it so quickly, you know you're onto something. And so, yeah, a natural progression for us would be to create a more player-style iron um, that, that would service those guys because they're going to feel that difference even more than, than everybody else. And so... You know, that's certainly something that we look at, you know, as we look at the business as a whole, we want to be fairly deliberate in our approach to growing this business. Uh, I've seen a lot of companies come out, uh, blow a ton of cash, uh, go out and buy a bunch of inventory and not understand the market, not understand the demand uh, at which and the velocity at which that product is going to move in the retail or fitter space. Uh, and they get into a lot of trouble. And so we've probably got too many ideas uh, right now for what we can bring to market. Um, It would be fun to bring it all at once, uh, but that's just not the reality of business. So we're trying to do it in a smart way, but we've we've got some really cool stuff in the R&D cupboard right now. Yeah, and then you have interesting products that seem to come through the website here and there. Accessories Mm -hmm. is definitely one of them. I mean, we talked about... You wore a quarter zip today, which I think is sold out in at least a couple 
colorways. Yeah, I don't think we have any more except yeah. maybe a double X and a size small somewhere yeah. on there. Yeah. Um, and, and they look great. Mm -hmm. And that's the worst thing for me is when you be super fond of a company and you want to go support them, but their stuff is just trash. And, and I mean that in not a negative way at all. Um, I'll, I'll give a head. We had a really interesting conversation last night about head covers. Talking about it, and I just bought um, a head cover today from Ballyhack because it's a place I'm starting to really become fond of, even though it beats me up a little bit when I come here. Um, there's, there's a certain level of expectation of quality that has to exist. Mm -hmm. uh, and that includes, do I replace this boutique head cover with the traditional head cover, the stock head cover that comes with my product? And if, if you're inferior on the stock level, the quick answer is, of course I do. But then the other side of it is the creativity component of that is so significant right now. Like you can go and find some pretty cool stuff out there. No arguments made. And then some of it might be a little bit sketchy from yeah. a should you be doing this yeah. perspective, but a lot of it isn't. Yeah. So when you look at things like head covers or accessories, or I know you guys have done uh, did tools and tees, how serious do you take the quality that comes into that? There's no compromises at, at Adele with quality, and I think that's been something that the company has always held to. Um, you know, paying attention to the smallest details and making sure that we're delivering a product that our fans love and and really love. And you know, when you look at our company, it's a company full of golfers. Almost everybody in the company builds. Almost everybody in the company fits. Um, it, it it's kind of a it's just such a different experience than most golf companies I, I've seen and you know I grew up in golf I've been in golf since I was 15 years old and a lot of people work in golf and, and don't even play the sport uh, and to me I you know that's fine um, you know have a very successful career doing that but at Adele it's just a different level of passion uh, we're kind of fanatical about the stuff uh, we're always looking, uh, and to our conversation last night, you know, every manufacturer of head covers for all of the companies that are creating head covers and designing head covers, we, we know them intensely, uh, and we're fans of it all. Uh, and I'll never bash another company. I always like looking at the creative stuff that people come up with. And it's like, it's a challenge. It's like, mm -hmm. all right, we can do something better than that. Ah, right, we can okay. do something cooler than that. <clears throat> and so it's just this constant challenge to find something really cool and just make sure that the quality is, is just at a level that's always going to make people say, wow. So I, I know you're not afraid of the limited release experience. Yeah. Is there an understanding that if, if you purchase something limited from Edel, the quality is going to be equal to or better than anything else out there? I feel so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and when you look at our products, there's always, um, you know, there could be like a better best strategy and, and we'll price things accordingly. Um, but we're always trying to make something cool that's going to appeal to golfers. Like we, we launched a lefty-only putter uh, this past month. Um, I'd never seen anybody do that in the past. We thought it was kind of a cool idea. The head cover says lefty on it. Um, we've ignored lefties in our inline stuff for quite a while because the economics don't quite work. Uh, that's a, a story for another podcast uh, we can get into, but um, just trying to create cool stuff that, that make people feel like, how oh, this is special. This is, this is kind of unique and, and this is something that I'd love to have in my collection. So that is something you think about because you are 
I'm not going to use the term hoarder, CK, Mr. 60 Putters <laughs> himself, but you, you deeply acknowledge your understanding that you, you buy one, you buy 10, and you're not going to put something out there that people don't want and don't want to collect. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that's something that's always frustrated me is that it's pretty awesome to celebrate a company. And there's two things that irritate me as a collector, as a guy who likes different things in the bag and flashy whatever. If I'm embarrassed about the company name that's in there, that's a really big problem for me. Yeah. But if I'm embarrassed about the quality of the product in there, I'm more likely to put the product of the company I'm embarrassed about than the the company I love with poor quality. Yeah. So, you know, masking that, I, th- I think, is a really interesting perspective. It's, it's, it's a side of things that a lot of these companies that exist right now, especially, maybe maybe they don't care, but... You know, we have a really cool thing happening in golf right now where some wonderfully creative and passionate designers are going out there and making these super unique products yeah. that people like to put in their bag. I'm so guilty of that. <laughs> yeah. When we look at it up and down our product line, you know, whether it's you know, our putters and high-end stainless steels, forged and machined and... Could we do it cheaper? Absolutely. We can make a product that performs a little bit cheaper, um, but we're not going to skimp on that. We're not going to skimp on the details. When we look at the tolerance of our wedges and the weights that come in, we do a ton of sorting to make sure that those are completely dialed in. Uh, the machine soles on our wedges, not cheap to do, um, but the consistency and accuracy from wedge to wedge, from sole grind to sole grind, uh, is unmatched in this industry. You know, you can't get that in a cast wedge uh, where there's polishing that's happening at your, your head manufacturers. It, CK, it gets wonky. People's favorite wedges aren't cast. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Most of the leaders in market share in wedges happen to be cast. Um, it's I, a cheaper way to make high-volume products. As our final, I guess you could call it discussion point, I think it's... I think it's something that should be mentioned that, you know, I've had SMS in the bag plenty mm-hmm. over the last year after, uh, you, you, uh, hooked me up. I did a little unboxing in Nashville last year. It was super fun. And every person that has taken that wedge and hit a ball with it, the feedback is crazy positive on the sound. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, let me back up the, the experience is incredibly positive based on what they claim to be feedback, which is effectively 90% sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got guys who say when you're bored of them, uh, they're mine. Um, my dad took them for a couple months at one point just to have a great time with them. Like there, there's this deep connection to the sound quality off SMS wedges that I really can't speak highly enough. Um, and I want to know, like, is there an understanding that that component of wedge design, because so many people are are producing their products in different ways, I feel like there's this missing connection point there because when you do get a forged product like this in your hands, it really genuinely does make a difference. Yeah. Is that... It does. And, I mean, the, the other part of it is even the fitting part of it is when... So it's the construction of the wedge, but it's also moving weights to certain location and all of a sudden you're hitting it off the center of the face and that's going to feel better. 
And then when you have the option of uh, a number of different grinds, and you know ours tend to have a little bit more bounce than others, um, but when that turf interaction matches your swing and the course that you're playing on, that's going to sound better. Uh, yeah. you know, David and I always joke that we can fit people to a grind by sound indoors. <clears throat> I mean, you can turn your head and just listen to people hit wedges and you know when they're in the right grind. Yeah, I caught your Instagram today. I saw some pretty effective sand, sand game work from uh, SMS. Yeah, there, was, there was a gentleman named Dan. <laughs> oh, no coincidence. <laughs> no coincidence. Uh, phenomenal shot out of the bunker, yeah. I'm glad I got that one on camera. That was ridiculous. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the, the sound of them, the feel of them, uh, when... When we get the opportunity to get our wedges in people's hands, we've really yet to find somebody who's like, nah, I don't really like these things. It, was, it blows people away. That was going to be my question because you, you definitely get a much deeper understanding of customer experience than I would from Adele. Uh, I, I certainly get to see it when people hit my wedges, and of course, everyone's welcome to do that. The only one I say is, this guy you buy is the driver, and I don't even want to hit that thing, so that's fine, but... With the wedges, the feedback is so obvious that I'm curious from you as a company, you're of course getting customer feedback. And yeah. and I, I think my understanding is like an 80-20 thing where like the the 80% are quiet whereas the 20% are mad. What is it like for you guys? Would you get customer feedback that's mixed? Do you get it predominantly positive? What's it like? It's really good, specifically on the wedges. I mean, across all our products, I'd say it's really good. Um, the expectation of our products and the performance of our products is, is unlike any brand I've ever worked on. Um, if someone has a rough experience, they let us know like 100% because they expect greatness out so of us. So when I hit that one wedge shot that I was trying to like bite and roll out a bit and it bit too hard, I should be mad about that? Is, do I send that to your email or someone else? Uh, usually that goes to our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough to hire a, a marketing manager, uh, Blake Whitmore, who's he's just he's a phenomenal guy and he manages our social channels. but. I still have the password and I get in there and, and I read the feedback and I, I think, um, you know, I've partially built a career in golf by listening to that feedback mm -hmm. and adjusting to that feedback, whether it's a tour player or a pro at, at a place like this, uh, somebody in the street, someone who's sitting on the, the plane next to me, uh, always asking what they see, what they feel and, you know, when we get that feedback, it's, it's just making sure you listen. Um, they'll tell you what you want to hear. People will tell you what you want to, what they feel about your products, and you can adjust your product roadmaps because. Like you said, feel there. Feel, which is ninety percent sound in the feels. <laughs> a lot of it, yes. So as we wrap up, what what can folks expect from Edel moving forward? You have putter options out there. Will that change? You have iron options out there. It sounds like there's a good chance that's going to get a little bit more robust. What what's next? Well, we're on a, a growth trajectory right now that is, is, is pretty insane. The last two years, 100% growth uh, in our sales. Uh, we are expanding our assembly operations and moving our headquarters to, to Denver, Colorado in two weeks. Um, we're going to keep the office in Liberty Hill, Texas, and that'll be our R&D prototype machine shop and a fitting bay and, and really just expanding our footprint. Um, but with this growth, we're hiring more employees, uh, all in, in kind of the, 
the same mold of people that just love golf. We joke around and say it's for golfers, by golfers. Um, and the product line will reflect that. We've got a talented engineering team. Um, we've got a sales team that all builds. And this is crazy. You'll get a kick out of this. When we send out our sales samples to our sales guys, uh, they build their own samples. We don't even have to build them internally. They want to build them on their own because they're that freaky about products. They have build shops at their house. Really? Uh, that's, that's cool. And you absolutely. guys have those sick, uh, sick ferals that you send out. So if they're, absolutely. If they're looking to put their own on. That's a big yeah. deal. I mean, Will Pugh, our, our rep down in Atlanta, is the lead singer at Cartel. Um, you know, he... He traded his mixing board. He was doing music production for a GC quad, and you know he he just tests product to uh, to a level that that most people in R and D's at big companies do. But he does that in his garage, uh, and so we we've just got this unique team, um, which really helps with product development because we listen to everybody in the company. It's it's not none of this not invented here mentality. It's just a very open, responsive golf loving environment and. Uh, you know, when we look at the clubs that we're going to develop, uh, we consider ourselves a scoring brand, uh, working from the green outward, putters, wedges, and irons, uh, expanding all of those categories uh, as we move forward and as we get more feedback from people. And uh, our products are in a lot more hands than they used to be, so we're getting a lot more feedback. I'm a tiny bit scared to ask the next question. Well, other than I obviously want Will on the podcast, so let's make that happen. He sounds like <laughs> a killer dude. Uh, not to mention I might fanboy a little bit when we do talk but most likely the, the question I have is as we wrap up today do you have any questions for me do I have any questions for you what are you doing to improve your game I'm not uh, so, so I got the Rona Uncle Rona visited for a while <laughs> then I got flu B or I think so I'm like I, I'm sliding into winter in Ohio with just deep emotional confusion about my golf game. <laughs> I putt pretty well still. I have that going for me. My wedge game is strong. Bunker game is spectacular. Big putts home to yeah. these past two uh, days. Yeah. Broke some hearts up until you played spectacular down the stretch, which uh, really good for you, buddy. Yeah. Really happy for you. A couple solid punches in the face for you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I don't know. I think next year, like it, for me, it's a confidence thing, man. Like it's, there's something going on. I spent... 15 minutes on the range between our rounds today, which played 36 mm-hmm. in 45 degree weather. <laughs> Incredible. Um, and I had it all sorted out. And you get back on the course and they're just, you know, it's, um, it's like pulling the parachute early, I guess, is a big way of describing it. So, yeah, I got big plans for next year. I'm, I'm tired of not being what I think I can be. And, you know, I think um, there's, there's an understanding there that you got to put the work in. Yeah, I don't think I did. One of the reasons I asked the question, and, and you know, when when you talk about marketing or product market fit in in any business, people ask you who's your target audience, who's your core audience, and usually people start with demographic information. Forty five to fifty five with blah 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 income, and when the way we talk about it internally is people who want to get better at golf. Uh, if people genuinely want to get better. They're more likely to be open about the process in which they do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, tie instruction to it. We've got some some things baking in the instructional side of the business as well. Okay. Um, you know, David, our founder, is a twenty five year PGA member. Um, 
just a, a lot of cool stuff. But anyone who's really open and willing to to have a, a, a mindset to improve their game, um, I think they just need to open their eyes to Adele a little bit, and we'll have some cool stuff for them. Yeah, I, I like the idea of that you can buy an Adele product, and the product improves with you. So if, you, if you're out to in, you can have one setting, and then when you finally perform to that level, you're like either neutral or into out, yeah. the, the product can change with you. And I think there, there have been many examples in my experience with golf clubs over the last two decades where I'm like deeply invested in it, that their products just flat out did not work for me. Like there, there are a couple companies that had the weight all on the heel side that was just eating me alive on the wedges. Um, I went from being incredible with wedges to hosel rocketing, switching wedges. That was a scary moment for me, but I feel like if you could just transfer some of that weight a little bit, there's an opportunity to close that gap. And uh, that's the one thing I think it's really fascinating about your product. And when we hit, it wasn't a significant change in the results, but it was enough to be like, all right, that's encouraging. Like I can work with that. Well, I think, I think a lot of people that are listening to this are going to feel what I'm about to say. And when we talk to people, talk to golfers, one of the biggest fears of getting fit, and there's fears, not, a lot of people will not go and get fit because they're afraid to do it. Um, one of the biggest fears is, I'm gonna get fit for the swing I have that day and that's not who I am all the time. And so imagine being able to take that club back home and adjust it as needed or go back in and get refit uh, and continue to adjust to your point is let that club grow with you. Uh, when we talk about our clubs, they're fit by adjustability, and, and you continue to have that ability to tweak it with your game and continue to grow with your game. And, and to me, that's incredibly important. And to this point in golf, that hasn't been made available in irons or wedges, and, and we feel that we're delivering that. Okay. Limited release, SMS, black finish, uh, rainbow finish, um, brushed copper finish. Where are we getting some of that stuff? TBD, but yeah, we got some cool prototypes. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're just sneaking that question in there. We like fun stuff as much okay. as anybody. Who doesn't yeah. like a new shiny toy? I mean, I, I saw the limited release putter, and by I saw, I mean, you made me see it specifically. Sure. Uh, there was this insane rainbow finish Adele putter. It was nasty, by the way. Yeah. I get a sense that you guys are kind of just scratching the surface on limited release. I'm... I'm curious to see what's coming down the pipeline. Yeah, and I, I think as we as we take our kind of mainstream operations out of our machine shop uh, down in Liberty Hill, you'll see that place just open up and flourish. You know, okay. we've got unbelievable machinists and unbelievable staff down there, um, and I, I think it's going to unlock the creativity that you haven't seen from Adele uh, in the past at all. It's going to be a lot of fun. So on THP, we have a little bit of a, a deeper connection to some folks in the industry. And, and I always find it fascinating to see the level of love people have for the game that are in the industry itself. Um, and for you to be out there today with myself and J-Man, <laughs> we pay, played 36 holes to the point where we actually used the lights on the carts and our cell phones to not only find the ball, but be able to hit the ball. Uh, to play 36 yeah. holes. It we did was, not see the pin on 18 from the fairway. That it, was a little wild. It might have been 40-some-ish <laughs> degrees, and that's being very generous when we finish. That's the kind of person that I really like to follow. You know, the idea that you have this deep investment, not just in Adele, but in the game of golf. Uh, you have a, a true passion for the game. That's super fun for us to see. 
So for anyone listening, I mean, experience Adele a little bit and, and understand that guys like Chris here are thinking in a very similar mindset that you do. I had conversations this weekend that it just, they are on the same wavelength and it's going to be really fun to see what you guys come have come down the pipe. We're, we're excited for you. Thank you. And um, any final thoughts for the folks out there who maybe haven't taken the chance to hit Adele? No, I'd say just go check us out. Go get fit. We're, we're just product nerds trying to make fun stuff, make cool stuff, and make stuff that makes people better at golf. And if we can do that, um, you know, all the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall. And we think we're going to have a, a pretty successful business and growing business and, and be able to offer it to more people. And um, that's important for us. It's just watching people get better. All right. Go hit SMS for yourself. Some money shots. There's all kinds of different SMS <laughs> abbreviations. That's what I said out of the bunker today. Either way, Chris, thanks for your time today. The Farks are playing golf this weekend. Have a great time. Make it count. Laugh the bad shots. Celebrate the good. And I hope that it's warmer than it was for us today, Chris. <laughs> See you guys next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network. Your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.